This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, July 10th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. Chaos reigns in Egypt, and perhaps not surprisingly, every side of the struggle for power after the ouster of President Morsi is blaming the United States. Doug Bandau is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. He comments on the deteriorating situation. What we've seen in Egypt is a coup. Now, some people don't want to describe it as such, but I tell people, imagine in the U.S., if U.S. Army units showed up at the White House, arrested the president, several of his aides, went over to the Democratic National Committee, arrested top Democratic staffers, closed down MSNBC and other democratically inclined media, and then promptly shot down demonstrators who were protesting. I think we'd call it a coup d'etat. So the problem, what we've had in Egypt, they had a, they had a political crisis. They have a president who was elected a year ago wasn't doing very well. A lot of people wanted to get rid of him and they didn't want to wait for elections. So they had massive demonstrations and they called on the military to intervene. So now you've got a country that's divided. His supporters are angry. They're demonstrating. The other side's demonstrating. You know, they can't get agreement within kind of the root, the new government. We don't know how much authority it really has. This could be uh, become much more violent. They've already had scores of demonstrators killed. It's caused divisions within those kind of who ousted uh, President Morsi. And America happens to be hated by everybody. Everyone blames America. It's an amazing situation. They're saying that the United States is involved in uh, apparently every side of the, of the conflict. Yes. What you find is that supporters of ousted President Morsi argue the U.S. had to be behind it. And their argument is understandable. The U.S. has given lots of money to the, uh, Egypt over the years, particularly to the military. We give about $1.55 billion this year. $1.3 billion of that goes to the military. So their argument is the military would not have moved without U.S. support. The other side is angry because they argue the U.S. has supported President Morsi. Of course, he's with the Muslim Brotherhood. They say he's a terrorist. He's this. He's that. So why did the U.S. support him rather than supporting the people on the street? So both sides are blaming America. It's hard to imagine that we came down on both sides, but this administration has been utterly incapable of trying to disentangle itself. So the U.S. is in a very odd and very uncomfortable position. This is not good for America. As with any coalition that you have to achieve an outcome, the true interests of the individual coalition members comes to the fore when they've achieved their common goal. And that's that's where we are now. How, how is that shaping up? You know, what you find within the coalition is it was led by kind of young, more secular, liberal-oriented people. You know, and these are folks who America would typically like. They want a an Egypt that would be more democratic, less religious, certainly less kind of state-oriented. But they're not a majority by themselves. They, they dominate some of the urban areas, but not Egypt as a whole. They have within that coalition one that goes as far as the Salafists, who are even more fundamentalist than the Muslim Brotherhood, the Noor Party. So this broad coalition, and everybody wanted the Noor Party in because it could show it was a broad coalition. Well, they proposed as uh, prime minister uh, Mor- uh, Baradai. He was a man who served as a diplomat, headed up the UN Atomic Energy Agency, as somebody who was widely respected, but he's also a liberal secularist. So the uh, kind of youthful coalition members wanted him, and the newer party said, no way. This guy is not religious. He's not one of us. So the military vetoed him. Well, that, of course, got the other side very angry. So they proposed that an economist who was not as obviously secular, so he passed muster. They brought Veradai back in as vice president, which is probably a meaningless post. Then you found they uh, had the protests on Monday where the military shot down about, I think, 51 people died, primarily Morsi supporters. So the newer party at that point said, well, we're walking away from this after what they called a massacre. Yesterday, the government 
as in the military, effectively, the acting president, but it's really the military, announced a scheme in terms of a timetable for elections. Well, both the newer party and kind of the younger protesters objected for somewhat different reasons. But what you found here is they, they aren't together. The only thing they could agree upon was getting rid of Morsi. They have no shared vision of what's to follow, no shared vision of the kind of Egypt they want, the political process, who they want to elect. You know, it could turn very violent among a number of different factions if things go badly. What has been the involvement, if any, of neighboring countries that, uh, I mean, Libya is, seems to be in no position to offer any type of assistance? Well, the neighboring countries haven't done very much. The, the primary involvement of Libya is all those arms that were freed up after the American-supported insurrection against Gaddafi. You know, it really is kind of the gift that keeps on giving. A lot of those arms are over the border into Egypt. We don't know exactly who has them, but it does suggest there's probably a fairly large number of potentially angry young men who have weapons, which could make any breakdown of the political process very bloody. On the other side, uh, you know, the Gaza... Uh, Hamas, uh, you know, is probably upset at this because uh, they they saw I think the Brotherhood as being more uh, you know helpful for them. They don't have any means though to to intervene actively. Israel is watching it with a bit of horror. I think, in fact, no one in Egypt wants to take on Israel. Nevertheless, you know, Israel viewed itself as benefiting from a relatively cold peace, but a stable peace under the Mubarak dictatorship. Now they've got turmoil. They don't know what's going to happen. More important are countries like Turkey, which is not happy with the coup, Saudi Arabia, which is happy. Saudi Arabia is coming in with money. I mean, so you, you're seeing intervention not quite at the level of Syria, but you are seeing some outside intervention there that complicates it even more because money is going in and certainly weapons could show up if it became violent. Now, uh, President Obama and the U.S. government as a whole sort of wanted to dance around the idea of whether or not this in fact was a coup, at least in the early going. And uh, the reasons for that were hinged on aid, right? That's right. What the Obama administration finds itself is in a very difficult position. It tried to make nice to the Muslim Brotherhood. And while it's been criticized for that, it's understandable. The U.S. spent decades supporting the Mubarak dictatorship, and it was a dictatorship. It arrested and tortured people. It did not allow free votes. And it really did suppress the Muslim Brotherhood. So you had the Brotherhood coming out and getting involved in democratic politics. That's a good thing since the alternative could be military, uh, guerrilla warfare, civil conflict. So the administration tried to be friendly towards it. And it recognizes that it doesn't look very good for the U.S. to talk about democracy and then support a coup d'etat. However, U.S. legislation requires cutting off aid if a democratically elected government is replaced by a coup, which in the definition of legislation, it's basically heavy military involvement. There's a technical definition. It's very hard to see how you get around that. I mean, this clearly is that. But they really don't want to cut off the aid. They're convinced it gives them leverage. I'm really not convinced of that. The U.S. has given money over the years to every government under every circumstance. It never mattered what they did. The perception was the U.S. would never stop funding. So that means you have no leverage. And the problem now, of course, is we've tied ourselves in. We look very stupid trying to say this isn't a coup, trying not to cut off aid when it's not at all clear that money is getting us anything except continued entanglement. Now, we have an, a, an arrangement here where Rand Paul and John McCain are actually on the same side of an issue. Of course, Rand Paul has talked for a very long time very broadly about uh, ending foreign aid. Is there any sense that Congress is going to move on on ending aid to Egypt? Congress is divided. You know, they have come out and said we should cut off aid. There are congressmen saying, oh, my goodness, we have to maintain leverage. There are others who are saying, well, gee, maybe we should just kind of watch what's going on, which is kind of what the administration is saying. 
you know, I understand those arguments, but you don't pass a law requiring a cutoff and then blatantly violate the law. And it's really, I think, outrageous for congressmen to do that. If they want administrations to take legislation seriously, they need to be saying, look, this is what the law says. If the administration wants to change that, it should go to Congress with an emergency request asking for you know, an opportunity to at least set it aside, to delay it, to suspend it, any number of things. Congress does that routinely in a lot of legislation. This is a very bad way to do it. It just encourages administrative lawlessness. Doug Bandow is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.